You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. It's always great to be back. We have a truly amazing and inspirational story to share with all of you this evening. And joining me in just a few minutes will be Cherie Burton. Cherie is a psychologist. She is a speaker, author, podcast of her own show, uh, which is called Women Seeking Wellness. And she is a mother, a very proud mother that's always um, a big part of her title. Cherie's story of overcoming loss is going to move you deeply and I, I hope will help you discover your own strengths from her hearing her story. In addition to my interview with Cherie, you'll hear from our amazing watch team of on-air contributors, bringing you their segments in health, technology, finance, marketing, military affairs, nonprofit, and law. And you'll also hear tonight um, a quick chat I'm going to have with our own in-house coach and GM, Laura Scotty, who is quite excited to hear Cherie's story and is going to be um, talking a little bit about me Uh, excuse me, talking a little bit with me about Cherie's story. For those of you who might be new to the show, I hope you'll visit us at womentowatch.net and sign up for our newsletter and the podcast. And um, if you're interested in learning more about becoming a part of our on-air watch team, feel free to email laura at womentowatch.net. That's laura, L-A-U-R-A, at women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. 
So now I'm thrilled and honored to welcome to the show, Cherie Burton. Cherie, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Uh, thanks for having me, Susan. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I just wanted to make one quick correction. My podcast sure. is actually called Women Seeking Wholeness not wellness. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Good. Just, just in case there is another podcast called women seeking wellness, but this one, mine is called women seeking wholeness. And, okay. um, and I'm actually not a psychologist. I call myself a spiritual psychologist because I do have significant training. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, but I have morphed into more of a holistic in a holistic space. So I just want to say I'm not a licensed psychologist, but I okay. call myself a spiritual psychologist. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's so interesting. And we're going to be talking, you know, a lot about that during the show. So thanks for, for clarifying. Sure. Um, you know, I wanted to start off the show with just, you know, kind of laying out for our audience um, your background and what brought you to this point. And I would say that you've suffered a tremendous amount of loss in your life. Um, you lost an aunt to suicide. Um, you lost your firstborn daughter and also a sister mm-hmm. to suicide. Um, I did not lose my firstborn sister or firstborn daughter to suicide. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. not to yeah. suicide. No, no, a, a sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's a, you know that's a lot in a very heavy way to start the show. But I, you know, I wanted to put that out there for the audience because what I think about when I look at your story is. Why do some people have so much more tragedy, it seems, in their life than others? And I wondered if you, you know, if you've asked yourself that question. Yes, I have. Uh, And I and I would I would say that, yeah, kind of my prevailing, I guess. uh, I don't know if you want to say life lesson has been around loss. the loss of my identity most recently. Um, I think many of us go through a, a transition. It's like, who am I and what do I believe? And everything's not the same anymore, which is happening on a global scale. But right. for me, losing losing people dear to me has been has been a theme. So yeah, it's uh, it's quite a teacher loss. It is, and when you've um, experienced it on the level that you have. Does it point to perhaps the fact that, you know, it, it would, I hate to say it was meant to be, but um, that you're truly here to help others. Sure, sure. Right? And- yeah, and I even had the knowing. What's interesting is I would have the knowing um, during, you know, as a, as a prelude to sometimes we can feel something coming like, Oh, I'm about to go through something like your life is relatively stable or you're in a happy phase or, and this is why a lot of people self-sabotage joy because they know that something might be looming on the horizon that could be a teacher for them in their life through a circumstance. And, um, so, but even when I was actually in the loss, like the loss had happened, I had a knowing that what I was going through and walking through that I would on some level get it or get to a place of peace or harmonize it or integrate it. And that as soon as I did, I would then be able to assist and guide others through that same exact process, you know, process of grief or loss, or there are so many things that it teaches us. So I knew that if I recorded it, which was a big thing for me, I've always been a journal keeper. 
Mm-hmm. I've always been one to sort of like tag things, you know, and come back to them later. Um, and that's been very powerful as a practice for me. I've done it since I was a teenager. Just, just having that knowing that, that what I was uh, walking through and those things that you mentioned, you know, um, losing a sister, losing a daughter, losing an aunt, those pale in comparison to losing myself, which is a whole other thing we could get into. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? I want to, I want to start at the beginning and talk about, um, I want to talk about your mom mm-hmm. because, um, you share very openly, you know, your, your full personal story. And there was quite a bit of mental illness, specifically bipolar in your family among your siblings, um, and extended relatives. And your mom, you talk about as one who suffered from depression, but you also described her as a semi-feminist. So I, yeah, I'd love to know what you mean by that and and what kind of things um, did she demonstrate for you that had you look at her that way? Yeah. So uh, my mom's a baby boomer. Um, I'm 52 and she was very young when she had me. She was 20. Um, so she was kind of on that cusp of like, <laughs> um, the hippie movement, I guess you could say, or women kind of going against what their mothers were doing, which was, you know, post-World War II, you know, happy housewife kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so she was kind of breaking out of that with her generation. My mother's a very religious, spiritual person. So I was raised very, uh, Orthodox Mormon and uh, my mother is faithful to this day, beautiful woman of faith. Um, but I think just because of some cultural things going on and then um, some, maybe some pressure to be quote unquote perfect, which is also a prevailing cultural thing within Mormonism um, for women. And having a lot of children, my mother gave birth to six children. Um, I'm the second oldest. And uh, and then when my aunt committed suicide at uh age 32 in her suicide letter, she asked my parents to raise her three-year-old. Um, so my parents adopted him, you know, seven years after they'd already had my, their youngest. So, so technically on the second of seven, I mean, that didn't happen by the way, my aunt's suicide until I was in my early twenties and in college and already getting my psychology degree. But what you were saying about my mother, like she is this beautiful warrior who is so feisty. Um, and that I, I kind of say a soft feminist with her because there isn't really a space for her to, to stand up on a platform like there is for me. Um, but we've certainly had so many conversations about, you know, how women can be looked past, how certain roles are placed upon women. Um, and what I love about the gift she's given me, and I hope I don't get emotional, because um, my parents have been uh, sequestered for COVID. We haven't been able to have holiday gatherings and things. So it's actually given me some, some time to reflect on how, you know, my upbringing was very imperfect and my parents are very imperfect, but my mother would always say things to me like someday, Sheree, I I just can't wait to see what you're going to do with your life. I can't wait. So there were no limits on like, oh, if I have children, I can't do this. Or it's almost like she took all her pain points and all the ways that she maybe felt held back or restricted. And she just gave me that full permission to go. And she's always been this silent cheerleader in the back. Um, Mm. So I had always had a lot of feminist leanings, I think because of her feistiness, but she never did it in a way that was confrontational or angry. 
only to my dad. I mean, like, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> right. So I think, you know, you, you, I listened to uh, an interview you did uh, with, I forget the name of the other podcast, but you were talking about the Mormon religion. And certainly when we look back on history in different generations, our parents and their parents were much more um, tied to religion in a way that I think they were following the rules, right? Mm -hmm. And doing what they're told they're supposed to be doing. And um, I wanted, you know, ironically this week, there was a headline in the news about in the Catholic faith, the Pope saying that, you know, he's decided that women still cannot become priests. Mm -hmm. um, and I, want, yeah, I wanted to know your I thoughts know on that. that. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, yes, yes. Wow. Um, the Catholics aren't yeah. quite ready yet. Well, neither are the Mormons and most established world religions are not to, ready. To real, yes, they're not really not, ready. And, and when you say that, for people who don't um, understand um, the divine feminine or the, the knowing that you have around the power of women, to me, is so fascinating. But I don't know that everyone understands what that is or what that sure, means. Sure. Well, um, the divine feminine is just another word for goddess or um, you could say feminine energy. It just depends on your esoteric leanings or how mystical you want to go. But it, it, when we talk about God a lot, people just assume a male identity. People assume a white bearded male on a throne um, who's sort of micromanaging everyone's lives. So right. for women, it's it's just how do we tap into our gender deity and, and for me, it's a lot to do with the tangible, the earth, the Holy Spirit really has a lot of feminist, feminine flow to that. So it's just when I, so it's coming back to the ancient feminine arts, the healing, beautiful, loving, flowing inclusivity and, and uh, nurturing essence. And, and would you say that that is that um, the way the world should have always been? You know, at, yeah. at one, you it know, was I wonder. That way. Oh, it was that way originally, right. indigenously, yes. Yeah, and I, it's it's interesting to me, and I'd love to know your thoughts on it. When did when did things go wrong? In other words, when did we move away from when we, that balance? Yeah, there's some beautiful stuff out there that that people can research. But basically, when men started building cities and started wars, and that's when we lost that collaborative. Um, divine coupling egalitarian society where women and men had equal collaboration and really all the intuitive gifts of women were put to the side all those intuitive beautiful spiritual natural gifts including nature right. including the power of yes. nature yes listen we have to go into our first break and we'll talk more about that when we come back stay with us for my interview with sheree burton and stay with us for our watch team segments we'll be right back now, the women to watch, Legal Watch. Hi, guys. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar Law Firm for Legal Watch. As many of us are hunkering down for a long, cold winter, I wanted to make sure you all knew about the amazing Business Better podcast Ballard is hosting. We're keeping on top of cutting edge conversations with experts in various industries, including mergers and acquisitions of distressed businesses during the COVID 19 pandemic, vaccines in the workplace and legal implications of mandating them or not, what to expect in terms of legal developments as the Biden-Harris administration comes into power, and much, much more. 
People on the front lines of all these legal developments dive into the implications they have for all of us, and Women to Watch listeners may especially want to tune in to the one about the new SEC disclosure rules. They surround diverse board representation. The new rule requires NASDAQ-listed companies to have at least one woman and one racially diverse director or explain in their public filings why they don't. It's a time of monumental change in our country, including with respect to our laws. If you want to stay on top of all the breaking developments, keep tuning in to Women to Watch and check out Ballard's Business Better podcast. This is Nicole Hittner at Ballard Spar for your legal watch, and I'm here to help. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. Although many Americans have a company holiday tomorrow in observance of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the national theme of the day is a day on, not a day off. It's important we all keep this in mind as we honor Dr. King's tremendous impact on the American civil rights movement. MLK's version of equality for all allowed for major shifts to the African-American military experience. For far too long, black service members faced discriminatory treatment, segregation, and institutional racism across all branches of the U.S. Armed Forces. Dr. King helped shed light on this injustice when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was signed into law. This act, which Dr. King helped pass, banned employment discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, gender, or national origin and this called for major changes to our Department of Defense. Although change didn't happen overnight, our country did finally reach a place where people of color became high-ranking military officers, members of Congress, president, and soon-to-be vice president of the United States. To uphold Dr. King's dream, the DOD recognizes that freedom, equality, and inclusion are true force multipliers and are imperative to the national defense and the strength of our nation. Dr. King also recognized the power of service. He famously said, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Observing MLK Day through service continues the DOD's mission of fostering change and building communities. But military service isn't the only kind of service Dr. King was referring to. All Americans can try living up to the standard he set, and tomorrow is the perfect day for each of us to seek out opportunities for public service. Remember, it's a day on, not a day off. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back. Um, This evening, I'm interviewing Cherie Burton, who describes herself as a divine feminine scholar. And and I love that title. She is an author, um, a speaker, and she also has a podcast, Women Seeking Wholeness. Um, And I, you know, there's a lot of work research, I'll say, um, out there about just the power and the importance of having women's contributions and gifts um, really at the forefront. And I wanted to give you an opportunity, Cherie, to talk to the listeners about why it is important and why now more than ever do you think we're seeing such a shift Mm -hmm. globally around this? Well... You know, 
as a as a sort of follow up to what we were discussing before the break around all the structures that have been put in place, all the city building and all the systems and institutions that, you know, you mentioned Catholicism. Um, a big part of what's happened with religion, uh, and we'll just take Christianity for a moment or Protestantism, uh, it's it, during the Nicene Creed um, when women were basically, I mean, there's a lot of documentation about women um, administering in like sacrament rites and different things. And all of that was completely wiped out. All the goddess temples, all of the talk of goddess worship, priestesses. Um, there's so much rich history on the earth with respect to those things that um, that during certain popes rule, I want to say Pope Gregory, um, that was all put, put away. So when the Nicene Creed came out, I want to say in like the early third century, fourth century, I always get my dates wrong. Um, <laughs> it was like 380 something. Um, he basically, you know, they accounts put a council together and they decided what was going to stay canonized and what wasn't. And Mary Magdalene was considered, um, you know, pretty much a harlot um, until 1969. And, and I'm actually writing a book on Mary Magdalene right now. I've dove pretty deep into her, into the Gnostic texts and the Gospel of Mary that was discovered in Nag Hammadi. Well, actually, it wasn't discovered in Nagamati with the other Gnostic texts, but it was discovered in Egypt um, in the 1940s. So we have, after all the major worlds had, world religions had already been established, these beautiful findings come forward after World War II in Egypt that um, are dated to the, to the same time that the Bible was being written. Um, and, and incidentally... <laughs> I, I love Christianity. I, I dabble in many other things, but I love Christ. I love just that path of being Christed and understanding Christ's consciousness. And I love the New Testament, but also keeping in mind that the, the four gospels that were not written by Jesus himself, they were not even written by the apostles whose names they bear, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were written by scribes um, who, and who were basically given an oration of what had happened during that time secondhand. And they were not even put together until 70 years after Christ's death. So that's an important thing that I was not ever taught <laughs> um, when I was in Sunday school, that things we have attributed to Jesus are really not his firsthand words. Some of them are in, in the canonized scripture, but some aren't. So that's why I love having the, um, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Mary, the gospel of Philip and all the Pistis Sophia, all of these things that were discovered in Egypt in uh, 1945 that have gone through beautiful academic uh, translations and carbon dating to the authentic ancient texts that can support a more feminine, intuitive, loving kingdom is within you kind of approach versus a punishment uh, sin-based model of spirituality. Mm. Yes. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, that be and to be honest, like that depression that we kind of started our discussion with that has, you know, run through many, not just my own family line, but many others. A lot of it is that I can never be good enough type of mentality that can sometimes be perpetuated within religions. Um, in the Mormon faith that, that I was born and raised in, um, it certainly was never, 
you know, taught from the pulpit that way, like you're no good, da, da, da. but there's an internalized process that happens when you're trying to be so good for God and you're trying to be like Jesus that you realize that there's this whole other realm of nuanced spirituality um, and individuation and graduation from the masculinized structure of good, bad, right, wrong, that is so embracing and freeing. And quite frankly, it's a long answer to your question that you asked, what's happening on the earth right now? Why are we seeing this fallout? Well, that's exactly what's happening. People are inwardly rebelling against mas- over-masculinized patriarchal structures, government, mm. academia, religion, that don't support a more nuanced inclusivity. We're done marginalizing people. You know, Black Lives Matter is a good uh, explanation or a good um, demonstration of, of that, right? Marginalization of LGBTQ, women, you know, there's so much that people are just gently and not so gently creating an uprising within, um, and it will go global. It will go in mass. I, I, I would say most of the spiritual teachers I follow and thought leaders are saying, yeah, put your seatbelt on because we've only seen that's just the beginning of these, the crumbling of these structures that don't support. Uh, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. One of the other things when I think about religion that I, I kind of struggle with myself is this idea of uh, a group think. So mm-hmm. you have you belong to a group and the group has rules and and you know this is how we're all supposed to think versus what you talked about at the top of the show that that knowing which I believe every human being has. So we should be turning inward always to mm-hmm. our own tuition and our own knowing, but yet society encourages us to be part of a group and follow their rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just, I, I, you know, I question that, but then I also see people who are really sustained by their faith and sure. belonging. Sure. So I, you know, what, what are your thoughts? On I that? say to each his or her own for me personally, um, I'm grateful for the way I was raised. There were some harmful teachings and doctrines that I don't resonate with anymore. But when I took the rigid, like when I gave myself permission and I I was getting this divine go ahead, by the way, um, from more of a feminine, you could say heavenly mother, mother, ancient mother, goddess, Gaia, there's many names, but it was a very feminine, distinct, um, divine go ahead to look out of the boundaries of what I'd been handed and raised with, you know, God's a male, Jesus is a male, all the prophets are males, you know, all the angels are male. Like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> where do we fit in? <laughs> excuse me. Where do women come yeah. into the picture here? Where, and right, and right. then I just did a deep dive into history because I'm a researcher and I love to, to get to the heart of things. And so these wisdom teachings have been lost, you know, these ancient wisdom teachings of which Christ was trying to teach. He was schooled in them. Um, we have, we have literally from his 12th year to his 33rd year, we have nothing in canonized scripture about his life. That's very significant to me. And I've done a lot of research and leanings around where could he have gone and what could he have learned and who were the masters he, he learned with and taught, was taught. Of course, he had to grow in his learning and knowledge, just like each of us. And that's a very sacred path. So when you look at Mary Magdalene and her life, she was a woman of title. Um, she, she was a woman of means. Um, she was independent. She 
was right there with him. She was learning at his feet, but she was learning the wisdom part of his teachings. The apostles wanted the structure. So, you know, Peter, if you read the Gnostic text, um, Peter was the rock that literally was like the foundational putting the structure of masculine stuff, healthy masculine, by the way, in place. But when this woman comes in and says, but there's this other thing, there's the kingdom within you and no one can take that from you and you are your own authority and those kind of things. Um, even though Christ was trying to teach the male apostles this, that didn't resonate, it didn't register or resonate for them, but she got it. And so um, there's even a, a phrase in the Gnostic text, I think it was uh, the gospel of Philip, I believe, who talked about how Jesus loved her the most, that she was the apostle of the apostles, that he kissed her on the mouth, like all of the apostles knew he had this, um, she got it, she was ready for more. Um, and the seven demons that he, you know, cast out of her that it made it into canonized scripture, are actually like the seven levels that of, of her own ego that she released through, under his tutelage. So um, it's everything is not so black and white as we are, you know, sit in church, it's like, this is either bad or it's good, right? Or right, you're either righteous right. or you're evil, like finding that nuanced middle ground of like, what resonates for me? What's my truth? And, mm -hmm. and giving myself, I didn't give myself that full permission until I was 49 years old. I'm 52 years old now, um, right. three years, um, even though I've been studying these things for so many years and trying to make it fit within the, the patriarchal structure I was raised in of Mormonism. Um, I honor so much of what I was given in that structure. But at, at one point I had to like find my own and parse together my own set of core beliefs and values. It's so fascinating. You know, I, I think about your past as well. And I would say that, and I want to talk about that kind of aha moment. I know you had one um, when you appeared um, on the Oprah Winfrey show mm -hmm. that I, I want you to talk about. But um, when you're surrounded by family members with mental illness, that is scary. That's scary. And when when you have an, um, a lot of it, I would say you must have been worried. What about me? Where am I going? What about me? And that that sure. kind of right thinking about that would is probably what kept you from the wisdom you have today. And, and I know that you were kind of the, the someone that held the family together. So mm -hmm. talk to that. Uh, talk to that a little bit. Yeah, so I've, I guess just being the middle, middle child, a sister a year older, a sister two years younger, um, I was kind of like that middle child stabilizer, mm -hmm. um, which is a theme I kind of carried into my whole life. I, I'm always, you know, in the middle, I'm medium, I don't go to either extreme, I don't make too many waves, like that's always just been my MO. And both of those sisters were diagnosed bipolar um, and into our early 20s. Um, I was visiting them in psychiatric facilities, and I'm very close to both of them. Um, the sister who ultimately took her life uh, did so at age, I was 35, she was 30, no, I was 36, she was 34, and she had five children. Um, I had three at the time, I have five now, but she and I were, I saw her every day. I mean, our children played together, they're to this day the best of friends, um, we were in the same community. She had struggled for multiple years, um, over a dozen medications to manage her bipolar. Actually, both of my sisters were diagnosed bipolar in, in their early 20s while I was getting my psych degree. 
So I always say like I dodged a genetic bullet, but I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. It's not that I couldn't become bipolar or have those t traits. Um, the genes just aren't expressing. Um, and that's nothing against my sisters because I mean, they're amazing. I actually, my oldest sister, um, not the one who took her life, but my older sister, the two year older, she's had her bipolar diagnosis rescinded by two different doctors. She was on just as many medications as the sister that took her life. So I guess to answer your question, I, I feel like I stepped into a genetic storm to some degree, an ancestral mm. storm. Yes. And I've been trying to navigate what part is mine? How do I not fix things? How do I just let things, you know, I have children um, now who, you know, struggle with anxiety and depression, but they're doing great, but they still, it's just there, right? It's right. It's there. Right. Um, yeah. And I too have struggled with depression on and off, not clinical enough, not enough to be hospitalized or even to warrant medication, but it's just kind of this low grade dysthymic thing. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to manage and also break through and transform. Okay. Well, we're going to go into our next break. Uh, stay with us for my conversation with Cherie Burton and you'll hear from our watch team. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, and I'm from Fortis Family Office. To continue on last week's theme, your Finance Watch team would like to highlight some of the financial planning topics we talked about over the last two years. We've emphasized several times that we must all plan for the worst so that our families can be taken care of in the event of a parent or caregiver's premature death, extended illness, or even a lawsuit. Life insurance is essential if you have dependents. Review your entire insurance program and make sure you're adequately covered for health, auto, homeowners, or renters. Don't forget disability insurance, especially if you're in your peak earning years. And an umbrella policy is important if you have significant assets. Another important topic is the education of our children about money, specifically about the impact of saving money early in life and the compounding effect this has on a portfolio. It can be difficult even for adults to grasp the difference between financial needs and wants, thinking long-term versus short-term. Teaching this to children falls on parents as these lessons are not often taught in schools. Using an allowance is a great start. Having kids manage even a small amount of money and getting them involved in investing in charitable giving early can change their financial futures for the better. And speaking of investing, we've also shared the results of various studies that indicate that women are better at investing than men are. These studies of gender difference in investment behavior consistently show that female investors outperform men in the long term, most notably during market downturns. Among the reasons posed for this are that women tend to buy and hold, not trade frequently, they're not overconfident, and they're more apt to choose ready-made portfolios like target date funds rather than pick individual stocks themselves. Knowing your money personality is another important takeaway. Researchers have identified four common attitudes towards money. Money worship, money avoidance, money vigilance, and money status. Recognizing your money personality is the first step towards financial health. Experts say that knowing what drives your financial decisions can help you reach smart money goals, whether that's spending less on impulse purchases or saving more for retirement. This is Terry. Peace out. 
If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at the United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. I hope the new year has greeted each of our listeners with lots of joy and peace, particularly as we get ready to enter another tax season. But I'm excited to share that United Way has once again invested in free tax preparation through the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program through the partnership it has with Campaign for Working Families. Tonight, I have joining me Mary Arthur, who is the president and CEO of Campaign for Working Families, who will provide an overview of their tax preparation services for the upcoming tax season. Mary? Thank you, Dr. Owens. We start our tax season on January 25th. And this year, we have four options of free tax preparation. And the first one is the traditional tax prep, the second one is our virtual drop-off. We have 100% virtual, and then we have an option for you to do your own taxes. You will also find on our website where you could be screened for public benefits. So we have a wealth of information on our website, and you can find us at www.cwfphilly.org. Thank you, Dr. Owens. Thank you so much, Mary, for sharing that information with our listeners. Please go to their website for more information, or you can go to United Way's website at www.unitedforimpact.org, or you can call our helpline 211. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your nonprofit watch. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, Sue Rocco here, um, checking in with our own in-house coach and GM, Laura Scotty, to talk a little bit about her take on this week's guest, Cherie Burton, who is a divine feminine scholar and also the host of her own podcast, Women Seeking Wholeness. So thanks for checking in with us, Laura. Of course, Sue. Thanks for having me. Sherry is, she's fascinating. And um, I know that you've read about her and um, her work with mothers and women and children. And I wondered, you know, what, what are you excited most about in listening to her story this evening? Well, I think the main thing that stands out in, in just reading about her and not hearing the interview yet is that she really can relate to women in in a unique way because of everything that she's been through. And now we're, we're starting to read a lot more about uh, generational work. And I know that's something that she really talks about because she comes from a background with family members who've dealt with mental illness and dealt with, you know, really challenging situations and how she's, you know, changing what uh, people are, you know, how people are moving forward and how people are building their own lives without bringing in, you know, past generational experiences. Yeah. One of the things she, she talks about is, is that past generational trauma that she feels can be reciprocated 
in in generations that come. It's an interesting interesting concept. It is, and I think the the concept has become more popular as people realize, you know, you're a product of your environment. And you've learned what you've learned from generations before you. But that doesn't mean that they're doing it the right way or the best way for you. So I'm really excited about that because in my coaching, a lot of my clients um, who are women will say, as women, we prioritize our children and our husbands and our careers and trying to juggle and balance everything. But we put ourselves last. And a lot of her training and her courses and her materials are focused on how to take care of yourself while also prioritizing, for example, your children, where, you know, she has she actually lays out how she was a mom in her 20s and then how she was a mom in her 30s and how she was a mom in her 40s. And, you know, so her priority is her children. But at the same time, she's studying all of you know, these concepts and still able to put herself first. And I think being able to learn that from someone who's been through the experiences is really impactful. And she's so very candid and open about, you know, the trauma she's had in her own life. It's really um, it's overwhelming. One of the things she talks about is how important it is for people to really use their own intuition and look within for answers to, to all of life's problems. And when you're working with clients, do you, you know, do you use any of that? I mean, I know you're, you're a different kind of coach, but how much of that kind of spirituality comes into play when you're working with clients outside of the business uh, piece of it? Yes, I, I think from my standpoint, the holistic approach where you're talking about mind, body and soul, whether it's personal concepts or business concepts, it's all important because if you're not in balance, then you're not going to be as productive as you could be. You're not going to achieve as much as you could. So we're talking about all these different areas of your life and finding the balance and prioritizing. I mean, sometimes things have to take a back burner. Um, but, you know, in reality, caring for yourself, making yourself a priority and, you know, connecting in that spiritual way, you know, whether it's meditation or it's, it's, you know, going to church or some kind of religious, it doesn't matter what it is. It's all about what helps you to be balanced in everything you do. And so much of that, there's so much crossover, whether you're parenting or you're running a business or, you know, anything you're doing, all the relationships, it, there's, there's just so much growth that can happen when you prioritize all of those different areas. Yeah, you know, um, I'm excited to hear her full interview. So thanks for checking in, Laura, and we look forward to hearing her story. Of course, thank you, Sue. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and, and thank you for being with us again. If 
you missed the first hour, I'm joined this evening by Cherie Burton. And Cherie is a divine feminine scholar. She is a speaker, an author, and the host of her own podcast, Women Seeking Wholeness. And she's also the mother of five children. Just to add one more title (laughs) to her plate. So um, Cherie, I wanted to jump right in at the top of the second hour and have you share this story um, about one of the aha moments that you had when you were on the Oprah Winfrey show. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that feels like so long ago. So it was December (laughs) of 1999. Um, I was nursing a a baby and had a two-year-old. I was drowning in depression. Um, Just as that like new mom, like, oh, I've got my degree and I'm drowning in diapers and who am I? And also my sister's struggling and seeing those family patterns and then worrying, oh my gosh, do my my kids going to, you know, just that whole uh, soup of of worry and anxiety. Well, one day my sister called me and she said, Cherie, um, I need you to get online and look up something on the Oprah website because my computer's down. So I looked as I was looking it up for her, I looked on the, and I might add it, we were living in the basement of my in-laws because my husband had lost his job and I didn't get along so well with my in-laws. Things were really tense. So um, anyway, I look on the sidebar of Oprah's website and it's, these are our upcoming shows. And one of them was living with your in-laws. And I'm like, I'm living with my in-laws because they're like, we, we'd like to hear from you. And I was like, okay, who's going to read this? So I go on there and I write this kind of bullet pointed version. I love to write. So I just probably embellished a little bit, but I also like gave the real picture of like, I'm drowning. This is what's going on. Da, da, da. And um, within two days, an Oprah producer called me. And uh, she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, this is perfect. We have a live show. So this would have been like November of 1999. She's like, next month, we're doing a live show. We'd like to fly you and your in-laws and your husband out to Chicago. Oh my gosh. And uh, we'd also like to do some B-roll. So we'd like to hire a local production crew to set up cameras in your home. And I was like, ah, okay. I haven't even told anyone I sent this. So maybe I should run this by my in-laws. So in and out that we represented the very healthy version of coexisting with your in-laws, but I was very real about the pain I was experiencing and how different I am from my husband's mother and different things like that. And so it was a healthy, and I'm glad it was Oprah and not like Jerry Springer or something like that. But, <laughs> um, but when the reason that I, the reason that I love this is because it was December of 1999 when this aired and I came home and this dates me, this dates it, but like it was on a VC, my mom recorded it on like a VCR tape, um, a videotape. And so I watched it when I got back and I just about, I'm like, who is that? I didn't even recognize. I'm like, I am not born to be that person. I sounded a little bit victim-y. Like I was frumpy looking. I was, um, just not expressing me in Mm -hmm. who I am in my soul. So that was, you know, really coming into the year 2000 is kind of what I call the beginning of my actual awakening into who am I? What am I doing? How do I want my life to be? And I, and I thank Oprah for that. I think that I was able to see myself on live national television in front of millions of people, right. um, not expressing my true self. And it, wow. it was a catalyst for other ventures. Now, I, I bet she would love knowing that. Do you, 
did you ever, you know, I know it's hard to get in touch with her, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, reach back out. I think really that she would love that. The fact yeah. that that appearance on her show was, was a, another move forward for you in your own awakening. Yeah, I would love to somehow connect to her people who know her people who are right. connected to All her the people. Gatekeepers. <laughs> yeah, I, because I just yeah. know that she's a catalyst for so many people, especially during the 90s. Um, and in the early 2000s, it's just like she was that kind of like old school personal development, people kind of waking up to how am I going to live my life? Yes, what do yes. I she's want all to about create? that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, now, in 2004, you decided to enter the Mrs. Utah pageant. Actually, I that's the year I won, but it was because of that Oprah episode that I decided to work on my beauty, my voice, my, the way I connect to people. And so I gave a very passionate prayer after that episode, after I watched it, God send me something. I'm drowning here. I don't know what to do. I feel my purpose is lost here and being a mom and living with my in-laws. So of all things, the way that that I can count on one time, how many passionate prayers I've had where I felt like I got a, an immediate direct answer. And this is one of them. Um, it was so clear. It's like, just wait, something's coming. <laughs> and literally within two days, I found out about this Mrs. Utah pageant. And I was like, first of all, I didn't know there were pageants for married women. Um, I didn't either. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never yeah. saw the Mrs. in front of that title. It's actually a huge, it, well, uh, what, it's not so huge anymore, but it was back then. And so I, I, uh, I was just at a, a local event and I saw Mrs. Utah speak and I was so impressed with her grace and beauty and power and everything. And they were looking for contestants. I was like, there's no way. And then I put the flyer to the side at my house or something like that. And my two-year-old son came and brought it to me. And it was like, this is the answer that intuitively, like, this is the answer that you prayed. And I was like, what? So I, I, was, <laughs> I so I called the the one who was producing the pageant, we had a long talk and she's, and I'm like, look, I'm 40 pounds overweight. I have no confidence right now. Da, 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 and gave her the whole thing. And my whole, uh, the, again, this is like 2000, the year 2000. So how many children did you have at that point? I only had, Cherie? I had two at that time. You had and, two. Okay. Um, and what's interesting is I did run in the pageant. I placed in the top 10 and I did so many things wrong, but I did a lot of stuff, right? So another a scout for another married women pageant was in the audience she says look you need to do my pageant so i did the mrs utah a different mrs utah america so you know how they have like miss usa and miss america and stuff yes well, they do that in married women pageants too so i did her system and i i got second runner-up later that year and then i was like okay i'm done and then i actually had another baby and um which was a beautiful whole cool thing because I was a different level of a mom when I had him. Like I, I, I had tools. I, I knew the thing that the pageants did for me on a very, I guess you could say it was a lower vibration as I look back, but it was still something for me to attach. Like I'm a queen. Like I, I can be a mom and do and have a voice. I can have a platform. I can serve and you know, I can make myself beautiful and presentable and I can be articulate. And that, that's what drew me in. Um, and so it helped me fine tune a lot of things. But what's interesting is the year that I actually won in 2004 um, was actually, so the year that I was Mrs. Utah, um, 
my platform was inspiring greatness in girls. So I would go out and speak to groups of young women in juvenile detention centers and mothers and just like, how do we, how do we help women and, and um, their daughters experience this level of greatness? What does that mean for them? How can they, you know, find who they are and all this stuff. So I was out there doing that. And then three weeks before I passed on my title as Mrs. Utah is when my sister committed suicide. So the very platform that I was promoting, my sister was losing that battle in my backyard. Um, she had just finished, um, a 90 day inpatient recovery through uh, addiction to pain pills. And I was actually on the side working at an addiction recovery center as a group counselor. Um, so it was so ironic that I, here I was working as an addiction recovery counselor. My sister's in an addiction, a separate addiction recovery center. I was Mrs. Utah finding my purpose, my voice, my, and running this platform for the community and my sister was literally experiencing the exact opposite of everything that I was platforming. Um, and and we were very close. Um, so she ultimately, you know, went to a hotel room, took, uh, overdosed on a drug that was used to manage her bipolar symptoms. She did not relapse in her addiction, but she did overdose on a drug for her bipolar symptoms. And, um, she left a letter and in her suicide letter, she basically, um, she had five children and they ranged in, ranged in age from two to 12. And, um, her husband had tried everything, all of us, everybody, we tried everything to get her to, to know how beautiful and wonderful and amazing she was. And like I said, she was on a dozen medications. So she really wasn't in the driver's seat with her, um, finding who she was and her soul and her voice. But in her suicide letter, she basically said, Hey, you know, I can be a better, a better guardian angel than I can be an earthly mother. I'd rather you all not have to see this train wreck keep playing out basically. And, um, so in her mind, it was a gesture of love. Um, but from that moment on my world exploded, I've never been the same since, um, neither have, have any of my siblings and parents. Um, and so by this time, that little baby that I, I call him my pageant baby, (laughs) he was three years old. So I had a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old, and they have been raised around this, like, Aunt Shauna, you know, this is what happened. Um, and so I went on a major bender in alternative and holistic means because I knew that these, that the drugs and talk therapy were not going to be the big healing picture for our family. Right. Um, and it blew my mind. And, and again, this is where the ancient feminine art stuff comes in because all of the stuff that's labeled alternative is actually the real thing. It's the stuff produced in the labs. It's the structures and the, um, man, man-made, um, theories and practicums and systems. Those are the alternative. What's real is come back to you, come back to earth, come back to your essence, who are you? And let's love you into that versus sit in your church and be told exactly what you need to be or sit in school and be told this is how you need to do it or sit in your family. And you know what I'm So all the structures that are outside of us tell us who we need to be. And that's it making makes, people yeah. sick. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know what? It, it makes so much sense to me, Sheree. And how do you get people who, um, have seen it the opposite way for so long. It's so integrated in our society and culture. Um, 
that you know you can take a pill and be better um, to get people to open their minds to al I'll say alternative ways and you know one of the questions I have when I think about you and, and what you've been through and you work with people who are struggling um, how do you do that in a way that doesn't keep you in that space you know how does that not trigger things for you that have happened emotionally Oh, I don't play in the space of the problem. I play in the space of the solution. And what okay. what we do have control, quote unquote, over, which is only what we're faced with in the now. So anxiety lives in the future, depression lives in the past, neither of which we can control. So the whole practice is about surrendering to the now. And that's mm -hmm. where all our power is. And so I give people earth tools like essential oils, breathing techniques, um, walking out in nature, using crystals, for example, or putting on a guided meditation, yoga. Those are all making a resurgence for a reason in our society. It's because if we are toast, if we can't come within, right, we're, we're not going to make it if the individuals yeah. can't learn how to go within and manage their own energy. Um, because that is, to me, the crux of everything is how to manage your own energy. Yeah. Listen, we're going to go into our last break. And when we come back, we'll talk about your Stand, Speak, Shine program um, and more about how you help your clients. Stay with us for my interview with Cherie Burton and stay tuned for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Lynn Falconio, Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Health for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. Last week, we talked about the hard-hit travel and hospitality sectors and how we're starting to see slight rebounds in leisure travel, especially to domestic destinations where sun or snow are plentiful and there's ample space to socially distance. Beyond launching new routes, airlines also are seeking to increase passenger confidence through innovative new partnerships with trusted household brands like Lysol, Clorox, and Purell, as well as trusted hospital systems like the Mayo and Cleveland Clinics. Three major carriers have all launched campaigns to communicate safety measures, Delta's Care Standards, American's Clean Commitment, and United's Clean Plus are great examples. While price and convenience continue to weigh heavily into decision-making when it comes to travel, health and safety has become a top priority. Subsequently, how brands adjust to account for COVID-19 and how they communicate those changes will have a direct impact on the recovery of the industry. For example, the Delta Care standard brings telemedicine to the gate for passengers who are unable to wear masks, and each passenger is empowered with their own Lysol wipe and hand sanitizing packet upon boarding. We're also seeing travel brands pull best practices from my industry healthcare marketing, producing high quality content and using scientific storytelling to address concerns like why airplane cabin air is safe to breathe. In an era when every decision is a health decision, health and safety is both essential to fighting the pandemic and also a competitive advantage for brands. The ultimate deliverable of marketing is confidence. And right now, travel brands can provide that by listening to science, partnering with medical experts and trusted household names, and providing information to make an informed decision on how to travel. For Women to Watch Marketing Watch, I'm Lynn Falconio. Now, the Women to Watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. In the 1800s, the doctor went to people's homes. He knew his patients well, delivered babies, 
said fractures did surgery and helped the dying. In the 1900s, most doctors were still in general practice, but then after World War II, advances in technology led to an increase in specialties. But even today, the U.S. depends on family physicians more than any other specialty. As the name suggests, a family physician offers care for everyone in the family, infants to the elderly, care throughout life, and sometimes multiple generations of family members at the same time. What a great way to build long trusting relationships with the doctor who knows the entire family well, especially since family history plays such an important role in assessing health risks. Primary care is the initial contact a patient has with healthcare, aiming to provide easy access to care and to focus on the whole patient rather than just a specific illness. Last week, we discussed routine well visits for children. Teens, adults, and elderly need well visits too, not just visits when you feel sick. Why? To look for signs of problems that you don't feel, like high blood pressure, or labs that show anemia, a low blood count, or abnormal kidney or liver function, or a slow thyroid. Finding problems early when they're easier to treat. Doctor visits also include physicals before school sports, vaccinations for children or teens headed to college or joining the service, vaccinations for seniors against shingles, pneumonia, screening for cancers in adults, and knowing at what age to stop, talking to an adolescent about bullying, becoming sexually active, and the negatives of vaping, or advice on smoking cessation, dangers of excess alcohol, or counseling on obesity and if a patient feels safe in his or her environment. Focusing on prevention keeps you in better health, and early intervention decreases the need for specialists and hospital stays. And like COVID, it's better for the entire community because there's less burden on the public health system. So Divas, pick up the phone and schedule your appointment with TV Land's favorite, Marcus Welby, right now. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm having such an amazing conversation with Cherie Burton. Uh, Again, Cherie has a podcast called Women Seeking Wholeness, and she describes herself as a divine feminine scholar, and she certainly has done a lot of research um, around religion and uh, the feminine uh, power and and why right now more than ever, I think people need to be looking inward, which by the way, Cherie, we should talk about, I think men, we we, we focus a lot on women and we're helping them, but men I think need it more than ever Uh, or more than women maybe. Um, and we'll talk about that, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to speak to the audience about your program, Stand, Speak, Shine. Um, what is that and how could they participate? Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, I certainly never want to leave men out, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, I, I have a stand, speak, shine school. So you can just go to stand, speak, shine.com. And it's, I work, uh, it's basically a 12 week program. It's self-guided. Um, but I, but I take women through 12 feminine principles how to get in your body, how to listen to yourself, all that wisdom teaching stuff that we've been talking about, how to use tools to be able to ground you so that you can find your own voice and your own path and and kind of, you know, taking, you know, there's a lot of programs out there that are like, this is what you should do and this is how you should do it. But my program is more inner about inner guiding. So it's just, um, yeah, I feel really beautiful about it. And I've had a lot of people, um, really resonate. A lot of women go through it that really resonate with, um, 
with the teachings and how it's enabled them to really get clear on their, what we call your soul voice. So the stand is about standing your power, standing who you are, grounding yourself, being here on the earth. The speak in the stand, speak, shine, the speak is about um, owning your expression, owning your voice, whatever that looks like. It doesn't mean you become a speaker necessarily as much as it is. This is who I am and finding your creative expression. And then the shine on the stand, speak, shine is about being you expressing you being versus doing. So being the, the feminine creator that you are and just bring your, your light to the world. Right. I think it's one of the things that makes it so hard and especially for young girls to, for, for just everyone to really be in their, their space and be themselves is that the messaging that is out there across every place we look and read is how to's and, 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 you know, being told how you're supposed to be. But I would say, you know, kind of the jig is up on a lot of that. Right. <laughs> and when, you know, we talk about, um, things coming to the forefront, I really do see, um, that people are, are starting to question a lot of the old, um, systems. Sure. And that's a, that's a really, really good thing. Um, I wanted to talk about your kids for a few minutes. Um, I, I love the fact that your 14 year old son, Noah was the one that suggested to you that you should be helping and teaching mothers. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me? Yeah. Well, he's tell 24. Me about that moment. He's 24 now. Um, yeah. he's always telling me what to do, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but that um, was another kind of aha moment, yeah, you know, yeah, at, yeah. at the age of 14, he did, he, he said well, that he recognized something. Well, it's so interesting that our children really are our teachers. And he, you know, if they're, he's the one that was the two-year-old that handed me the, the pageant flyer that I was about ready to throw away. Right. If we're mm -hmm. really listening and we're really in tune, um, to our own intuition, in our own receiving our own flow, like a child can be our masters. They can teach us so many things. Um, but yes, when he, um, and he, and he, with his permission, I share this, um, you know, he had a, a heck of a time in junior high. He was, um, experiencing some severe anxiety and, um, and so I had taken him to a psycho, a traditional like psychotherapist and he referred him to a psychiatrist and, and uh, he basically couldn't be on med and still can't be on medications. He just has that kind of metabolism or biochemistry where he cannot. Um, every side effect you get, he gets. And so mm. it's like, how are we going to manage this? And so this was in 2010. So I was, you know, because I had lost my sister in 2004. And here we are six years, or sorry, 2005. So here we are five years later. And I'm you know, in that space of like finding all these natural ways of doing. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go natural with this. I'm going to find things to do for him that maybe his psychiatrist would think are weird, but I'm still going to do them. So I started doing things like, gut, you know, uh, essential oils were a big part of it. Gut cleansing, teaching him about meditation, um, all kinds of ways for him to connect back into his own body. And what happened was nothing short of miraculous. I mean, uh, here I have this 14 year old kid laid out on my bed three times a day during the summer, doing essential oils and talking to him and learning about tapping and all these things. And we just explored a lot of things and he was game because he was in a lot of pain. And mm -hmm. ultimately he had such a big breakthrough that the psychiatrist was scratching his head and he goes, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. We get out. Oh, 
And on the way out the door, we're like celebrating me, the therapist and Noah, my son. And, and, uh, the psychiatrist kind of like takes me off to the side and he's like, I wish you could help this mother of this girl that I'm, she's got very similar profile to Noah. She's a lot of the same symptoms he had. And I wish you could help her. And I was like, so all that celebratory, you know, feeling kind of dwindled. <laughs> um, and we got out in the car and I, I told Noah, I said, you know, I'm so proud. Of it. I'm so glad, you know, I know that we got a lot of work ahead of this, but we're, and I'm like, but you got to know what this, what your therapist just told me about this mother of this girl. And, um, he was really quiet for a moment and he said, mom, you should help other mothers with this. And in that moment, I got, I still get chills all through my body because in that moment, I looked at my whole life, like how I was born, what I was raised, all the genetic stuff, my sister committing suicide. Now my son having these problems. And I'm like, I was prepared for this, that the old ways aren't working. The drugs, the talk therapy, et cetera. And I'm still trying to do that, right? Like I, that's my background and training, but I'm still trying to do this with my son. And then he has this breakthrough. And I'm not saying that we don't use those things like drugs and medication. They definitely have a place, but there, but again, that's more of the routinized structured approach, scientifically stamped way that you could say, you know, unhealthy masculine structure in some regard, just like wars and building cities that we were talking about in the other segment, but we're missing this whole like intuitive using things of the earth, like connecting to your own body, being your own expert, trusting your own self. Like we miss that. So it, I, I just had a huge download in the minute that he said that, that that would be my path, that I would be bringing tools to other mothers, especially. Um, so not only they could help their children, but themselves first. And so that the last 10 years, I've grown a large international business. I've been all over the world teaching about things like essential oils and gut cleansing and body awareness and emotional health. And, um, and the divine feminine stuff has kind of been a support to that. Like my, I call myself a hobbyist divine feminine scholar because I just love it. And I eaten everything up about goddess history and what's happening on the earth right now is totally a new era for the feminine. You can see it. You can see it happening. And it's only a matter of time because before really powerful things like plant medicine and things, gifts of the earth work their way back in to uh, modern, to our modern society. So yeah, it, a little child shall lead them. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I wonder if, if your son Noah, now he's 24, um, he might be someone that can relate to other kids because we just know that there are so many young people struggling with these uh, depression and anxiety. And, and as you said, it's it, it's not black and white. And there's so much that it's almost overwhelming <clears throat> to try to determine what's going to work from a scientific standpoint for someone and what is more um what what we call alternative and sure. trying to pinpoint that and find it especially for children how can I how can we do yeah, that i would say all children sense intuitively in their souls that earth is not a very safe place so they're all experiencing especially these young adults and teenagers like, how am I going to fit in life? How am I going to fit into this planet? Like what? I can't even barely manage myself. And you want me to go to college and start a, a career. And like, it's just gotten 
to where, um, again, it's all ramping up to heal. The systems will change, things will shift, things will reform. And they are the ones who re reform it. And on some level, they know that. And it sometimes might feel too big for them. So it could play out as anxiousness. It could play out as restlessness, um, ADHD, autism. Um, so many things that are just have really been spiking in diagnostic in the diagnostic circles and arenas for a reason. Yeah. Um, we can't keep doing things like we have with the environment, with our bodies. Um, and, and the children are, it's showing up in the bodies of our children. And you, and I wonder if, if it, the, all of these diagnoses are even correct, you know, um, so many questions around it. So many questions around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do I, think things are misdiagnosed because people are people and you can't, like you said, that group think or lumping people into a diagnostic set of criteria is not always useful. We're yeah. all very different. <laughs> all very different. So, you know, we just have a moment left and, and Sherry, I'd love for you to just leave, uh, you know, our audience with something comforting, something positive, um, something that perhaps you, you practice that keeps you even keeled since mm. we're all in a tough time together. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, I just, my word for this year is self-compassion. Well, it's hyphenated. It's technically two words, but, um, <laughs> compassion for myself, because I realize that if I have compassion for myself, I'm going to have compassion for others, especially those in, that are closest to me. So I would just leave your listeners with like, it's going to be okay. Things are changing and shifting in you and around you for the highest good of all. Um, and your divine soul is in charge and she or he knows where he or she is taking you. <laughs> and so um, just recognize that suffering is there in order for you to release it. And there are many tools around you to do so if you open your eyes to what's, what's around you. That's a really beautiful way <clears throat> to end the show. Cherie, thank you so much for sharing so openly um, your story. And I thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Susan. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manzo from Pathways Consulting Group. Because most companies are reliant on technology, most technologies are taking the user, you, into consideration so that the adoption of it is easier and return on investment is recognized quicker than in the past. Pathways, we've seen this firsthand. We work with a technology called ServiceNow. It's a cloud platform that can automate just about any workflow you have. So whether you want to automate HR responsibilities on onboarding or track your assets, you can do it. Pathways is not only an implementer of ServiceNow, but we're also a customer. And what I like about it is that I can measure my return on investment quickly and the people in my company who use it like it. So the user experience is positive. Many companies offer training to help with the adoption of technology. I encourage companies to always invest in training. At Pathways, we've created virtual classrooms for our customers. Whether you're a technical person or the HR generalist here in the U.S. or in Europe, we train through virtual classrooms to make sure customer employees are comfortable with the technology. It's extremely important when evaluating new technology to ask yourself a few questions just to get started, like what problem will this technology solve? How easy is it to maintain? How quickly will the users of the technology adopt it? 
Most technology companies spend incredible amounts of money on research and development to better understand the users so that the technology they produce is intuitive, much like apps on a phone. However, I've seen many technologies fail because of the complexities built in it. It looked really cool in the demo, but once the users have access to it, it turns out to be clunky, adoption is low, and it's not producing the results hoped for. Before you know it, it's being replaced by something else and hundreds of thousands of dollars are out the window. If you'd like to share your experiences with technology, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, Women on the Fly. Hi, Sue Rocco here with Cherie Burton. Cherie, how do you start your day? Oh, I start with a breath of gratitude. (laughs) What is your mantra for stressful moments? Uh, It's actually... Stop, breathe, receive. Are you a planner or do you do things spontaneously? Uh, I'm the perfect mix of both. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you typically when inspiration strikes? Mm, Walking. A place you've traveled to you'd love to go back? The Languedoc region of France. All things Mary Magdalene and the Divine Feminine. Oh, very cool. How do you unwind? I love to take a cup of tea and sit with my feet in a foot bath and just decompress. What's your definition of feminism? Uh, I That's a big question <laughs> for you. <laughs> so loaded for me. So uh, loaded. I, I think it is the beautiful union of the healthy masculine and the honoring of the sacred feminine together. Beautiful. What are three words that describe you? Bold, uh, adventurous, and loving. How about a book you would recommend for our listeners? Oh my gosh, books. Oh, you just asked me the hardest question ever. Uh, <laughs> First I'm, one that comes to mind, maybe. Um, I'm really enjoying... Glennon Doyle's new book and the name has just escaped me. Oh, Untamed. Yes. yes, Untamed. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And the last question, how do you end your day? Mm. The same way I started it, a breath of gratitude and self-compassion. That's the goal anyway. Perfect. Thanks, Cherie. Thank you. Next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. Have you noticed how many leaders at the top have unchecked egos? No checks and balances to their behavior. 
Maybe it's because they can't see it or they're unaware of it, or maybe it's because the business won't check them if they're experiencing some high success. I recently listened to a podcast called The Drive by Dr. Peter Atia, and he interviewed Robert Abbott, the ESPN journalist who did the story on Bobby Knight, legendary Indiana Hoosier basketball coach. They talked about unchecked egos and anger and how that can just can destroy your career. Dr. Peter Atia is particularly interested in this because he has become more aware in recent years of his own unchecked anger, driven out of the need for living as a perfectionist. That doesn't sound so damaging, but it can be if your mindset is to jump to anger when things aren't perfect. Think about that happening at your work with your boss or with you as the boss. Perfectionism is the ego needing to not show weakness or disapproval. And anger is from not getting the result you want, your expectations met, and everyone else is to blame. If you're going to be able to overcome this, you have to be aware of the problem or admit there is a problem. Well, Dr. Peter Atia can and is going to write a book about it, but Coach Bobby Knight couldn't, and it led to abusing players and losing his job. A lot of times these leaders are charming, and they have a way of sustaining the cycle of abuse and anger with shame and apologies after. The shame and apologies are tricky because they make the abused feel like they get it and they're going to change. But if you were really to address this person's behavior and ask them to get help, they would not believe they needed to. They are not capable of having that level of awareness. So why can Dr. Peter Atia have it and others can't? I believe it comes down to the ability to have real empathy, putting yourself in the person's shoes and feeling what they are experiencing working with you. Listen, to some extent, we all have unchecked egos. So a mentor or a leadership coach can help you uncover a deeper understanding of your motivations and defenses and escort you on the journey that allows the subconscious to become conscious. And once you have a greater awareness of your ego fixations, you can change behaviors and reach your highest potential as a leader, a partner, and a parent. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to our watch team and sponsors. And stay tuned for my interview next week with Suzanne Yoon, the founder of Kinsey Capital. Have a great week, everyone, and stay well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.